Welcome to a talk from St Saviour's Sunbury. We hope it blesses you. When, of course, you are boldly obeying Ron and Rose's command to read your Bible for yourself, you'll have no PA system worries. You can just read it and reread it until it sinks in um, on your own. Jesus managed to do the whole Sermon on the Mount without a PA system or even a, an amphitheater to amplify his sound. So this is a luxury we have in this day and age when we can't speak um, without a microphone. But never mind. The story at the beginning of Acts, we, we're conveniently selective in uh, doing the bits we like and missing out the awkward bits. So the bit that we didn't read um, that came just before this with the awkward bit about Ananias and Sapphira getting struck dead for trying to deceive God and the, and the, and the congregation and the apostles. But that's an uncomfortable story. And we're not reading that particular bit. The story that we're looking at is, in a way, a continuation of the last three or four weeks of, of stories that, yet again, the... Apostles were preaching against the commands of the Pharisees to stop. Um, so they were exercising a lot of disobedience as far as the Pharisees were concerned. But they were saying, is it right that we should obey you, a human institution, or God? And obviously they were thinking they should obey God, and therefore at some personal risk to themselves, they were out preaching again. And as Jesus had done before, it made them jealous because the people were listening avidly to what they had to say. They were becoming disciples. They were thinking less of the Pharisees who'd held power over them previously. So under jealousy, um, they got chucked in jail. And... If you had the Bible in front of you, you could read it for yourself. But basically, uh, while they were in jail, an angel of some kind got them out and told them to go and stand uh, in the temple courts and carry on preaching. And what they were told particularly to do, go stand in the temple courts, tell the people the full message of this new life. So that's what they were doing. On other, work, on other occasions, when they'd been hauled over uh, and uh, told to stop, Peter and John had said, we can't help ourselves telling what we've seen and heard. What they'd seen and heard through three years with Jesus, through thick and thin, and then seeing the resurrection firsthand, it was so burnt into them as an amazing thing that it just bubbled out of them. They weren't theologians. They weren't giving a theology lesson on the atonement or anything like that. They were just saying, this happened, this happened, and God raised him from the dead. Wow. And it's changed us. So it could change you. That's the essence of it. They weren't trained. They put it very simply. And uh, as, as Ro was saying on Monday evening to um, a leaders group, you may not think of yourself as an evangelist. What do I, what's your image of an evangelist? Somebody standing at a lectern or something, doing a Billy Graham thing. But 
you telling it how it is. God, help me. I was in this muddle. I prayed. It got sorted. Why don't you try praying? You know, that is being an evangelist. It's telling what God's doing in your life and saying he could do it in yours too. It's nothing more complex than that in its essence. And that's what they were doing. They'd seen more than we've seen firsthand, but undoubtedly. We haven't seen the risen Jesus in, you know, in the flesh, as it were, like they had. But we've had other things that we've seen and done which are equally pertinent to us. You know, we've had in our family, we've had various miracles of healing. We've had a marriage mending and we've had all kinds of things. If you tot it up over the years and that is very real and it can be very real uh, for anybody. The title, though, is a scary one, uh, to me anyway, that we've been told about bold obedience. Because the whole concept of obedience gives a shudder to modern day society. It smacks of authoritarianism. Wives have long ceased obeying their husbands. Crumbs, it's not PC at all. Children scarcely obey their parents. Scarcely obey their teachers. Obedience is something that's very uncomfortable in our society. We're all about freedom of choice and doing what we like, when we like. We're free to come to church as we want to. We don't have a commitment as though we have to. No, we're choosing to come. But if we choose not to, then we're free to do that as well. Freedom is, is the thought. Obedience is a bit... Uh, non-PC these days. As for bold obedience, I mean, you might obey the speed limit grudgingly because you got fined and you don't want to be fined again. You might obey other things grudgingly because you have to, because the consequences of not doing it uh, are too unpleasant. So there are some sorts of grudging obediences, maybe to a diet plan or uh, to all sorts of things, or taking your pills absolutely regularly. It's not bold obedience, though. And I'm thinking, under what circumstances would you relate to the concept of bold obedience? And the best I could come up with, really, uh, was thinking of emergency situations and things like that. For example, let's take the tsunami that's just happened in Indonesia. There's a lot of aid workers desperately trying to put together rescue packages of various kinds. So if you're in a team um, doing something like that, and your team leader says, well, you go and put those packages there, and this, that, and the other, you do it. It's, you don't think of it as obeying. You just do it because it sounds sensible, and you trust your leader to be telling you to do something sensible because you can see the objective as to why you're doing it. You trust your leader and you trust the cause. And then you probably put yourself at some risk, uh, energetically fulfilling your bit of the task. We don't feel that way very often, or often enough, in our understanding of the urgency of spreading the gospel. I was put in mind the other day, I, I used to love Westerns, 
when I was a child, and I'm still a child. And there was one that I saw years ago. Do you know True Grit? Yeah, some of you do. Anyway, the bit that I was drawing attention to is where uh, the, the, the young girl heroine gets bitten by a snake, and she's going to die unless John Wayne runs to the rescue and gets her over Hilldale Mountains to the doctor in time. And the, the courage, the determination, the urgency, you know, he, he flogs the horse till it drops and then he has to carry her, but he gets there. And it was necessary because otherwise she'd die. And that put me in mind of the scriptures where there was a plague of snakes struck the disobedient people in the desert who'd rebelled against Moses and God once too often. And they were getting bitten and they were dying. And in that case, Moses was told to make a, a bronze snake and stick it up on the pole. And if anybody looked at it, they'd be healed. And in John chapter 3, just before the famous God so loved the world verse, it says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so will the Son of Man, i.e. Jesus, be lifted up that whoever looks at him would be saved. And this is very much the urgency of the gospel message because if you go back to Genesis 1, which you will be reading when? Monday morning. Or maybe may chapter 2 or 3 actually. But you're still reading it Monday morning. I think you're reading three chapters. The serpent bit Eve before she bit the apple. He bit her with what? The virus, the venom of disobedience. And that is in our DNA to this day. We are all bitten. And there is urgency that we need to get the anti-venom into us, i.e. the blood of Jesus, to cleanse us from that. There's urgency because the people out there who don't know this are actually going to die. We don't like to hear that. It's uncomfortable. But Jesus died on the cross, so it's a remedy that they needn't. And we need that urgency. This is where the boldness and the obedience is necessary. The obedience was that Jesus said uh, before his ascension, go and make disciples of all nations. Again, the angel is telling them, go and tell the people the full message of this new life. Okay, so when you get rid of the venom that's in us, the sin, we can have new life. That is the good side of the gospel, but you've got to give the full message. So there's a bad side that if you don't, you're in bad shape. And that's a euphemism that's a bit playing it down. There is an urgency in our witness that's needed if people out there are going to hear the gospel. It is for them, just as it's much for us, but they just need to know to respond and to get Jesus to forgive them and give us and them new life. Really important. 
And we have to believe that uh, as our motivator. That's what gives us the boldness. Yes, you can say the Holy Spirit gives us boldness, but our heart has got to be for it, and the Holy Spirit will give us the strength. If we're just sitting on our backsides doing nothing, the Holy Spirit isn't going to be able to do anything. You can't steer a stationary ship. It's got to be moving, and then the Spirit can lead you and give you strength. But if it isn't moving, nothing happens. Where are we on this? We don't like obedience. But one of the things we'll find when we start doing our reading of the Bible, I've had people say to me on more than one occasion in the last few months, they don't rate the Old Testament. You're in for a bit of a shock from Monday for the next six months because you're going to be forced to read it. And it's actually got good stuff there, but it's stuff that's uncomfortable. Because God is a God of holiness. We sang holy, holy, holy were the first three words that we sang. Do you know what word holy means? Let me explain something, a little anecdote to lighten the mood. I had a privilege of going to South Africa many, many years ago on a, uh, a chemical industry visit. And we went to a place where they were, they had a furnace. I wanted to go into the chemistry of it, but it was called an arc furnace. And for those of you who are at all technically minded, it was using colossal amounts of electricity to make a big spark at about 4,000 degrees centigrade uh, that was necessary for making calcium carbide, acetylene, and the whole petrochemical industry. 42 megawatts of power. The light that that produced was unbelievable. You certainly couldn't look at it. You'd be dead in a minute. Well, no, a second. We were utterly blinded by the reflection of it, of, of that light, off a bland brick wall. Even that was too dazzling. Now, the holiness of God is brighter than anything like that. It's utter. We cannot stand in the presence of God. after that apple was eaten. We're all infected. None of us can stand before a holy God unless he has cleansed us completely by the blood of Jesus. The holiness of God comes through the Old Testament time and again. It's very uncomfortable. There's judgment, there's death, gore. But God is a holy God, not to be messed with. And that this, this world itself will end with judgment. But it needn't be so for people who trust in Christ. But it is urgent that people need to know that. It is urgent. We had heard on Monday a great plea that there's not enough helpers in the church to run all the youth groups, Sunday school groups, and all the other sorts of groups, that the majority of our growing congregation are sitting on their backsides doing nothing and 20% are doing all the work. Well, age is no exemption from doing things. You can pray, whatever age, whether you've got a Zimmer frame or not, you can pray. 
any sort of involvement is necessary to make this church. We had this that picture of the oasis. There's all kinds of bad stuff probably coming down the line towards our country. There's chaos in the wind, whatever time scale it's on. We need places like this to be a place of refuge, a place of safety, a place of life. That oasis picture, if you can remember it, with life and trees, with desert all the way around, is sort of a metaphor for the state of the world. And we've got something better to offer. But we do need to send out irrigation channels or whatever message you like to put so that life can grow up uh, for other people as well. There's a message that has to get out there and we have to help if we either just talk to our family members about Christ. Our neighbours, we can do something. I think there was a, a quotation, an article on Jonathan Sachs in the paper the other day, but he quoted Bill Gates' wife, I think, and it was more or less along the lines that if you rescue one person or save one person, it's part way towards saving the world. We can't do the whole jolly lot, but we can do one at a time. Like the person going along the beach with a lot of stranded starfish and throwing them back in, and somebody derided their effort, saying, you'll never save them all, but I did save that one and that one. And you do what you can. We each have a unique area of ministry of the people we know that others don't. You might be the only Christian they know. Well, it's on you to tell them, <laughs> boldly. Because it's not, it's not something extraordinary. It's not something that science has disproved. If you've had an illness, you've prayed, and you've got better, nobody can take that away. That's what happened in the Acts story, wasn't it? They, the Pharisees saw the healed man, and they were, hmm, well, I can't, they couldn't get round it. It was a fact. It was there. God has answered your prayer in some way or another, has helped you. That witness can't be gainsaid by anybody else. Have boldness. God will take that little seed and make it grow. That's his job. You just plant it, <laughs> or scatter it even, just radiating it in the way you live and pray that God will use you day by day, boldly. Let's pray, and in silence for a moment, just think how we can respond to this challenge. For more information about St Saviour's, please visit our website at www.stsaviourssunbury.org.uk. Thank you.